Right, welcome back to Mouthpiece. This week we are joined by a special guest, Dan O'Reilly. Some of you may know him better as Dapper Laughs. What do you, what do you prefer, Dan? I, it, Dapper Laughs, if, yeah, that, Daniel makes me feel like I'm in trouble by the missus or something, do you know what I mean? So just that, no, Daniel, Daniel, as we're getting personal, Daniel, Daniel, yeah. All right, so, so <laughs> oh, you're yeah, Daniel. Yeah. Today I'm just Dan. Or okay. Sam. All right. So, so. All right. Um, well, obviously, this podcast is about, you know, delving deep and, and just into the life and, and, and the things that not everybody knows about the characters that are on it. So I will give you the same question that I give everyone. Who is Dapper Laughs? You know, where did he come from? How did it begin? And how did, where, how did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Uh, well, first, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a comedian and um, I've always been an entertainer. I grew up around um, Surrey, actually, down where I'm living now, near like, Woking and Weybridge. And I lived up in Clapham while, when I was growing up, when I was a little bit older. Uh, but I went to school around here, um, yeah, like Woking, Weybridge way. Uh, I was a bit naughty at school. I got expelled from school, from one school. I had to go to another school. Um, I'm dyslexic and quite, um, uh, I don't know, like, I need Troubles to send- yeah, troublesome. I need the centre of attention. I'm not the class clown, so I, I wasn't very good, um, you know, academically, so I was always messing around. So, yeah, and my entertainment life sort of started. I come from a big Irish family. My dad's got 14 brothers and sisters, all Irish. They're all Irish Catholics, so there's no, they, you know, don't believe in contraception. They didn't have a TV, so they was just shagging. So, like, there's hundreds of uncles and aunties, loads of cousins. And every, every sort of Christmas Eve, we'd all have to go up to my grandma's and we'd all have to perform and do something in order to get our Christmas presents. And I used to tell jokes. You know, some people would play instruments. You know, the girls would get together and be like Spice Girls and that. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's where it started and sort of moved on from there when I was at school. Were you, were you, were you the youngest or where were you? Did you say I was quite, yeah, I was quite... I've got two. Um, I've got two two brothers and two sisters, and I'm yeah second from the second from the bottom side. Oh no, actually, well, out of me and my sister, I'm second. I've got a stepbrother and a stepsister that are uh, younger than me, so it's all complicated. My my mum's always already as well. She's Irish Catholic, so you know what I mean. Same thing. Amongst your brothers and sisters, are you the one? You know, every family's got one. Like the, the one that's considered. Not necessarily the, the trouble, the tear away one, but yeah. the one that is just more, most likely to bring police home. Yeah, 100%. Uh, in, in my whole family, actually, I'm that guy. And I, and I did many times when, when I was growing up. I got arrested a lot, actually, when I was in my teenage years. I was uh, hanging around with a wrong crowd and um, used to get into all sorts of, of nonsense, actually, when I was growing up. So I didn't really calm down and start thinking about life sensibly until probably my late 20s, so quite late. But yeah. So then, from then, you've obviously worked out that you had a, a knack for mm. comedy. Yeah. Um, and then you did, did you decide deliberately to take that route? What What happened next? How did How did that go? Well, comedy comedy started. For, I, I, I wanted to be an actor, and it was all auditions and everything. My mum actually moved away when I was fifteen, so I, I grew up uh, on my own from about the age of 15 onwards, uh, working and, uh, renting a house off, well, flat off me, um, off me uncle. So I was grafting, like working at a go-kart track. So as soon as I finished college, cause I'd done performing arts, as soon as I finished college, I had to get a job. So I worked as an estate agent, but by the time I was about 17, 18, 
I wanted to still perform, but I weren't getting any acting roles. So I actually auditioned and went over to Cyprus and I was doing like red coating, like, like as in Butlins, but over in Cyprus in the hotel. So singing, dancing, acting. And like, that's where I first sort of put together my, uh, and a lot of other stuff, obviously. It was, it was Iron Apple that I was actually working in. So it was naughty. But uh, yeah, and that's where I learned sort of stagecraft. And I put together my own stand-up show. And then I got spotted while I was there doing, doing stand-up comedy and, and ended up working for a cruise ship company uh, for about five years, traveling around the whole world. And then started off as like a compare, so like hosting the big shows in the evening. And then when I was a little bit older, about 23 or 24, I was flying from ship to ship on Royal Caribbean doing big, big shows. I was the youngest sort of stand-up comedy act on, on, that, on that sort of... Um, rotation because it was so 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 many old people on there it was all family friendly stuff so a million miles away from what i ended up doing when i got home the first time the first time i actually went napa and i'm 31 for the record the first time i ever went napa was this year no really i missed the whole thing man i missed I went the when whole I was 18. That's Nothing bad. So you you must be walking around like an apple and everyone must be like, what the fuck's on stand well, doing first it? First of all, no one was there, mate. It's, it's quarantine, isn't it? It was this oh, year. Yeah. So no one's there. And I was with my missus and my kids, so it's not it's not what no. it could have instead of been. Um but you was on I a family. Cyprus, I didn't yeah, I didn't know Iron Apple or Cyprus was beautiful like that. You always you hear of it as a as a as a party island and, yeah. and uh, a, a not a party island, but just a party destination. Yeah. What's it like being on a cruise ship in Napa? It just, it just, there's, there's certain things that are coming to my mind. I'm just wondering, can working, it be? Working on the cruise ships was, was amazing. I've, I've, I've done like two world cruises around the world, different ways. So, and then in between that for many years, I've done all the different sort of um, cruising routes, like long Mediterranean cruises or like the Baltic cruises or Caribbean cruises. So I've seen, uh, I reckon, I don't know, 70% of the world. Well, I'd seen it before, by the time I was like 24, 25, but not just that, I was living on my own, I was traveling, I was meeting new people every cruise and I, I was performing every single night. So, you know, social media is one thing, but when I'm on stage and I've got a microphone in my hand, that's where I'm at home, a live studio audience, uh, a live audience is, is, is where I feel good. Great experience at a young age. Why after that did you, did you think, um, obviously around then is when social media I guess was starting when you when you came home why did why did you automatically think uh you know what I'm going to start putting out on clips on there was it because you was it, it was hard to find work elsewhere or was it just was it, oh, just what, it time? what it was was when I was on the cruise ships I saw a lot of old performers a lot of old comedians coming on and the, you know the old 40 50 year old men coming on and I used to think I didn't want to be 40 or 50 doing these gigs. I wanted to be, I wanted to be on TV. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to be a famous comedian. And also I wanted business. I've always been very business minded. So once I'd saved my money from the cruise ships and I, I was starting to get itchy feet, I thought I'd go home and invest in business. So I went home and I actually opened my own estate agency in Clapham when I was like 26. I ended up having, you know, about 11 employees, a big estate agency and I was renting and selling houses when I was only 26. And at the same time, I was going to the open mic nights. And then I found out very quickly that the sort of family-friendly comedy that I was doing weren't cutting it in London, do you know what I mean? And the open mic nights. So that's where I went, 
like dark and naughty and controversial. And it's around that same sort of time that um, I, dis- I discovered Twitter and buying, and and then the rest was history. As soon as I, so when, as soon as I got when, on that, when you were doing open mics, were you getting jeered? Were you getting booed? Were you, was it that was, kind yeah, of? Vibe? I was, I, I, at first, I was dying on my ass everywhere because I was I was still trying to do this sort of <laughs> family friendly cheesy comedy, and people just wanted like realistic current affairs or political comedy or satire or do you know what I mean stuff people wanted to hear about stuff that was going on in their lives you know um which you can't learn while you're away on the ship do you know what I mean it's you know what, what well, I the audience? so for example they, they like it's, it's almost seems like on cruises there's a lot of it's, a, it's an old audience or is it yeah is it, is it is it that? Or? Well, if, no. Well, the, the ships I ended up on Royal Caribbean were about three. There was about three thousand people on the ship, and every show was fifteen hundred people. But it was family, so you had the daughter, you had the, the mom, and then you had the grand grandparents all sitting together. And then you got to come up with comedy where you can entertain them all. You can't upset the kids, but you've got to be safe for the adults. So it's very innuendo based and cheeky, which I could pull off. I looked like Rod Stewart back then. I had a big, big nose and like big, massive blonde tinted hair. So the old ladies used to love me, but the comedy clubs were brutal. But I learned straight away in the comedy club. I just had to be more 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 hard. And that's that's why I created a persona, uh Dapper Laughs, to, to be, you know, like the ultimate geezer and and to, to sort of hide myself away from the shit I wanted to say, do you know what I mean? Um and the rest is history with that. <laughs> it went fucking mental. So you were, you were always comfortable in front of live audiences. That was always like something that just came absolutely natural. Was that just because of the family environment? So many people all the time. Like where was that? Because a lot of people, I've spoken to, I've got a couple of friends that are actors and it took them a while to really feel at home, you know, think, in front of live audiences. I think it comes, I think many different things go into it. I think because I come from um, a broken home, so to speak, my mum and dad broke up when I was really young, when I was like three or four you're used to, um, you know, spending a bit of time with one family and spending a bit of time with another family. And when I used to go and see my dad, me and my sister, we used to be fighting for the attention there. And then when you'd come back, you'd be fighting for the attention there. And I think it causes like um, a lot of insecurity in yourself. And when you've got insecurity, you, you, you sort of create someone else to be you instead of being you. And a big thing with that is performing. It comes naturally to you. So when I went to school, I didn't want people to know the real me because it was a hard, it was hard. My life was hard with everything that was really? going on. Really? So you were, so you were always performing really? Yeah. Is so I was performing at school. I, ne- I was never sitting there trying to really concentrate on what I was doing. I was more interested in everyone thinking that I was funny or that, you know, and, and, and not letting on that I was hard. And I think, when you mix that into falling in love with comedy and then getting into live performance, um, you always get nervous before you go on stage. I mean, I, I recently, my last show I'd done was at the London Troxy, 2,500 people. We sold it out in like eight hours. And then when, you're, when you can hear 2,500 people in an audience, it, it scares the life out of you. But for me, as soon as I touch the mic and start talking on my own, so after that, you ended up going, well, no, then, then Vine and Twitter came around. Yeah. Twitter, them times, we know what Twitter is now, but Twitter those times was almost a free-for-all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Twitter, at the, the, me getting on Twitter at, at the beginning got me, in tr- got me in a lot of trouble later on because in order to grow, this is what a lot of people don't understand about comedy, and this is where 
we've we find ourselves in tricky waters now with with um, political correctness and stuff like that. In order to grow, for me as a comedian, I enjoy controversial comedy. I enjoy, I enjoy comedy that some people. I mean, there's there's certain things that everyone has got stuff they won't talk about. Like so, for instance, for me, kids with disabilities, uh, race, or you know, there's there's different things that I wouldn't even touch on. But I was very very interested in the dynamic between men and women, you know, like when you're growing up, you know, sleeping with women, your first experiences or, you know, and, and the comedy that I was portraying was lad humor where lads were the butt of the joke. So, you know, a lot of my comedy would be like wordplay. It'd be wordplay humor, but it was very easy later on for people to take them jokes and, and take the joke apart and, and, and out of context, take something they're offended by. Like, I'll give you an example. One of the jokes, one of the vines I've done back in the day was, well, and it's an actress in it, so it's a sketch, right? So I'll go up to the girl and i say, excuse me, can I smell your fanny? And she'd be like, no, you can't. I'd be like, must be your feet then, right? So it's a stupid joke yeah. about, can I smell your feet? It must be your feet, you know, not can I actually smell your fanny. Now, oh. looking, back, now looking back on it now, like now, no one would dare do that joke. That's, that's that, you know. And at, that, what, at, what, at what point were you like, I, I can throw that out on the internet because obviously the internet was a new thing. You would. I didn't. Out. I didn't care. I, I, I didn't care, and I, I didn't care. And it was, you know, to me, I thought everyone was intelligent enough to know that that is wordplay. There's no malice in that, right? But unfortunately, it's not about people now. It's not about people being intelligent enough to know that. It's about people that want to make themselves famous for um, fighting for whatever they believe in. And they can use that stuff for it. And also, people just want to take offence to stuff, even if there's no madness in it. Now, you know, it, it's a really tricky thing. But a lot of those jokes I've done early on, and then later on, when I got into uh, mainstream TV, into the mainstream TV world, and suddenly I had my own TV show on ITV too. All the old stuff where I was trying to, I was trying to find my ground. I was, I was building an audience as well. It was, it's only the controversial stuff that goes viral. It's not the it's not the the boy next door <laughs> humor that goes viral. Well, that don't work. That don't grow ya. It's the controversial stuff that put me uh, with millions of followers, and then they go back and look at that after you're famous, and then say, "This is what he's saying." So, but, so you, you know, almost you, you were doomed from the start, really, with that yeah, kind of yeah, culture of coming in. I mean, it's, as you say, though, it's it's worse now. Like now, you can't. Every time I even come on here. I'm I'm scared about what could come out of my mouth because you, as you say, everyone's looking to take offence. So you putting out that stuff, you almost had no chance. But ben, is, is there not a way we can stop this? Not not stop this, yeah. But for example, I'm somebody my, I love kind of ruthless comedy. I still watch South Park. I I enjoy comedy yeah. where almost nobody's safe for anything. Your deepest insecurity yeah. and something that can be so rude. I think comedy once we stop. People that start cracking down on what comedians can and can't do. It's a dangerous precedent to set. Yeah, it's because because it's it's smack bang right in the middle of, of you know freedom of speech as well, you know. Like just because you find something offensive doesn't does that mean that I can't say it? Because I don't find it offensive, and there's millions of other people that don't. So what you're doing is you're you're quieting my voice. But do you know what the most ironic thing is, and maybe the most co contradictory side of it is a lot of it boils down to class. So if you, it's because I come from working class, right? And because I, I came up using my phone to create sketches, uh, my voice is considered 
to the mainstream media, to a lot of media outlets, and I don't mind saying it because I got hammered by like the Guardian, the Times and everything, and then the tabloids follow. If you're from like working class and you come up, it's very difficult for you to get away with, with a lot because they don't see you as being ironic, right? But if you're Ricky Gervais or you're uh, Jimmy Carr, or Jimmy Carr's a prime example, highly educated, upper class, he, he's clearly being ironic because he wouldn't mean that because he's too intelligent. Do you know what I mean? That's what they think. And that's, that's the way that they sort of play. And also, it all comes down to success. If you're already successful and you already sell out millions and millions of shows and you can, you can create something like Ricky Gervais did with Afterlife and you create that and Netflix buys it and it's the most popular thing, like, like The Office, and it's the most popular thing. Do you think he gives you a shit or, get anyone, away or anyone cares what, yeah. or what the Daily Mail say about him? No one gives a fuck. No one's going to stop him. So he says exactly what he wants. But if you're just breaking through and you've just got your first... TV show on ITV2 and someone sets up a petition to get you cancelled and they do, after that people are like, nah mate, you had his chance. Do you know yeah, what I mean? that's, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely, that's, that's mental. It's, it, I watched that interview with you uh, on, uh, is it, was it on Newsnight? And yeah. um, with, um, well, I don't know what the, girl, the chick's kill, but I, I do actually know, I do actually like her usually, but I, yeah. I, I feel like she'd be set up to do that and, I just couldn't believe what was coming out of her mouth and how she was acting as though she was picking up. You could do that with any comedian, as you said, Jimmy Carr, Ricky Gervais, anyone that's established, you could find the most crazy shit that they've said and you can play it in front of them as they do. And so it was just completely misunderstanding the point of, uh, of comedy, maybe because it was on the internet, maybe because it was on the internet. And but it's, you know, it was, it got so bad to me that I'd done something that I wish I'd never done. And that was apologise. And every other comedian will, will say the same thing, you know, that to apologise, just it goes against all your ethics because to be completely honest with you, it's, if it's satirical, if it's like you wouldn't fucking have, you, like you would never have um, Sasha Barakarin apologising for Ali G or Bora. Who, who was pushing you to apologise at that time? Why, why, why well, did there was, you feel like? There was, a ma- there was a lot of different factors that went into it. And per- personally, my like my family were getting a, a lot of abuse. Like they were going to my mum's work and they were doorstepping like my sisters. They even went over to Guernsey to my sister. But what types? What types of people are abusing? Are abusing media. The media turning up and wanting stories or writing about them and and, and causing problems at their work, which which was a problem. Uh, I mean, no one ever told me to to apologise, but. The, the 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 continuation. I mean, I was I was I was in the papers every day for a good seven months, every single day, and it makes you scared, man. It's like what is happening to my life? What what is going yeah. on? And you did look were, scared. You did look scared. I was terrified. By the time I went on Newsnight, I just wanted it to end. And not just that, my my management had um, a lot of other big artists, and the media started targeting them artists, saying, "Oh, you you're all right having." having Dapper laughs on the same road as you. So then suddenly these big artists were going to my management, get him off. So then my management were like, look, we've got fire here. But before we do that, we recommend that you go on. And and it was, it was horrific. And a week, like a week after that, like I lost, I lost all my gigs. I had like 150,000 pound advance on a massive tour. And I had to fucking give that back. All my stuff canceled. And then not long after that, my dad passed away. It was a horrific year. So what, what just uh, that's a lot to deal with, you know, considering you're you're on top of the world yeah. and then it seems like there's a bit of a witch hunt. Um and it's all it's almost as if your life starts to collapse right yeah. before your very eyes. 
How did you deal with that? You know, did you deal with it? Was it were there demons? Uh, to be completely honest with you, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't deal with it then. No, I hit. I hit. I ate a drink. I ate the drugs, and I. I, I went off the rails. I mean, a, a week after my dad passed away, uh, which was wasn't long after all of that happened, I found out that I was going to have a, a daughter, uh, Neve, and we were told that we couldn't have kids. So it was a shock, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a positive shock to me at the time because my father had just died, and I was going off the rails. So I broke up with her, and that was it. Then, yeah, it was bad. That was it. And so for a month, I had no money. I had, you know, I was I was doing a lot of shit I shouldn't have been doing, and then I think. I got it out of my system. Luckily, you know, I come close to suicide, actually. I don't mind talking about it. I talk about it quite a lot. Um, and I actually rang the Samaritans one night when I was off my tits and managed to speak to someone there. And, and it just put everything in perspective that, you know, that what was going on in my life happens to other people. And, you know, it's not worth upsetting all the people that love me. And really, I should be reaching out to people and talking to people. So she she saved my life, really, the women I spoke to. And then slowly, I got back with my missus and had my baby. And then I was ready to, you know, defeat. Was, defeat was, it, made, was it made worse? Like, obviously, you come from nothing. And uh, when you are in the process of trying to build something, and it is fucking hard, and you'll have been through periods on that way up, where it seemed like you, you only made what you wanted to do late twenties, really early, you know. So you've got you've gone through that whole road, cruise ships, everything. Yeah. And then and then to have that just take once you've finally hit the pinnacle, to have yeah. that all just taken away from you. And we have it's been experienced sort of similar things on much less level. How do you like sort of recalibrate what your dreams are, what your ambitions are? Because your identity is almost caught in that. Yeah, I mean I I, I, I'm doing counselling now. I still, I've got counselling tomorrow. I still go counselling every week now. I go every Wednesday. I go counselling just to um, to keep any toxic behaviour at bay because uh, I've got two kids now. So it's it's more important more than ever that I don't get too toxic and I don't you know start start self loathing and stuff like that. But you know I talk in my counselling about it, and I think for for a long time I just kind of got through it and thought once I got through it I thought you know. Fuck, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you fail at, fail, you know, failing is kind of, to me, like, I've failed at so many things. I've learned so much. It's all motivation now. Hate, people that hate on me online, it's motivation. Everything's motivates me. So I, I, I try to look at it as a positive thing, but really, looking back on it, it's, it's horrific. It's like, you know, I finally got on TV. I finally made it. I was selling out fucking massive UK tours and Australian tours, and I was making loads of money. And then like that, it was gone. Then my dad was gone, but... Now, when I look around me and I look back on it, I'm like, I've got so many more followers now. My show sell. I've got a, a nightclub that's opening um, in about two weeks. I mean, COVID friendly, obviously. I've got this the beer brand. I've got, I mean, my my my, my, my comedy now is is just better than ever. Do you know what I mean? Well, you managed like, you, ma you managed to turn that around, like when you literally had, had everything taken away. How did how did you see the light? At what point were you like, you know, did, did it take you um, a moment to almost realise, well, nothing really matters anyway for you yeah. to be able to go again? How did, how did you actually was, go again and get that? It was when I, when I had my daughter, Neve. I, I wish I could say that the cliche thing that I, I had her and I thought, now I've got to sort my life out. But actually it was the opposite. I, when I had my daughter, Neve, the, the same thing happened to me. I had another breakdown and I was like, I went off the rails a bit because I was like, Oh, fuck 
man. I've got to look after someone else. And it was just another big thing. And then I managed to pull myself back from that breakdown, uh, the responsibility. And I realized because just before I had leave, I was, I was living in, in, in my, in my missus's um, parents' house in Manchester, in Tilsley, right? In this small little three bedroom house. I was living in their spare room with my dog and my pregnant missus. And it, I was just at rock bottom. I was like, I fucking had nothing. And then when the baby come, I almost rebelled again and thought, no, do you know what would be easier is if I just go out with my mates and get fucked and, and fuck all this off and do you know what I mean? And I managed to just about catch myself as I was getting into that. And then I, that's when I went, nah, I'm a successful person just because I'm not successful now. And now, which is, that was 2014, so 15, no, yeah, well, yeah, she's four. She's four. She's four on Thursday. Needs four on Thursday. So that was four years ago. Four years ago, I was living in my in my in my mother-in-law's house. Now I just last year we just built. I built this house, one point five million pound house. We built it from the ground up. I've got a villa over in Spain. I've got three or four businesses. Got this man cave, and I know it's not about money, but this is all ours now for the family. Where four years ago I, I was living in the fit. So. It's a massive message out there that even if you do it, spend half your life doing it and having it taken away from you, with the right attitude and the right mindset and the right visualization, you can. And now, touch wood, yeah. I mean, they can't take enough, they can't take anything away from me. The only person that can fuck this up is me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Going through, you know, those emotions and those times, I mean, before there was this kind of witch hunt for you and they wanted to take everything away and you lost the shows, you lost the gigs. You were earning, was it 10 grand a week? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sometimes more than that, just on personal appearances. It's, it's just, that's incredible. So mm. when you say that when they took every, everything away, you had nothing, what, how, was, how were your spending habits? Were they excessive? No, not at all. I mean, I saved, I saved um, uh, well, no, not, 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 too, not too, but that was, you've got to remember that was only that was for, for a year. So I had like a few hundred thousand pounds, maybe a quarter of a million pound in the bank when everything started really going wrong and I had brand deals and stuff like that. But, you know, I got, I lost a lot of money through getting sued for, for not being able to do gigs coming out of uh, breaches of contract because people were protesting on the, on the, on the gigs. I, I made some stupid mistakes with money, buying things that I thought, you know, like, like everyone does with their money. And I don't know where the rest of it went, but, it soon went, do you know what I mean? It, when you're living excess, excessively and then suddenly you can't earn a penny, it soon goes, do you know what I mean? And, and I don't, yeah, I don't want to say too much about anything else, but yeah, it, it put it this way. Every single penny I earn right now, or I have earned in the last four years, has gone into that house and, and won't go anywhere else, do you know what I mean? That's, that's the way my mind works now. Obviously, it's different as a, you're like, a, uh, I guess you're a performer, you're a creative, really. Um, and same with with, uh, with Savage as well. But it's different to perhaps being like a professional in an office or it's different to, say, being an athlete. But how much discipline does it take for, you know, people like you obviously have been very undisciplined at times and just gone off the rails here and like to go out for a drink. How disciplined now do you have to be around around what you do? Uh, is is that something that you, that you have in your life? Yeah, I mean, extremely, uh, to be honest with you, because there's my comedy always, my comedy now always reflects um, what's going on in the country and what people are talking about. So I do a lot of stuff around 
you know, the rules that Boris are, Boris are doing lockdown, you know, two lads talking over the fence or Kid Frankie or like, I've got loads of different characters and, and my stand-up, I'm always got, I've always got to be right in stand-up, but a lot of the stuff that I've got is, has got to be done very fast when, when stuff's going on in the media and stuff like that. So jug, juggling that with business, I've got, I've got many businesses as well. I've got a nightclub business. I've got the beer brands. I've got, um, yeah, I've got, you know, I've, I do like music stuff. Like, loads of, I've got a game. I've got loads of things. Loads of little different marketing things that are going on. That with the kids, but we're trying to get the comedy at the right times and then managing the social media accounts. There's like 5 million people across all the accounts. So when the, when, the, when the videos go up, they have to go up across everything and cross-posted. So... Uh, yeah, it's a full-time job, mate. Yeah, you can't you can't just get up in the morning and think, "Shall I be funny today?" You've got to stay relevant. So, you know what I mean? You've got, yeah, and then you've got to say that's funny. That's interesting. And so, are, are you still having to be careful? Because just to take it back to the current day, you know, at, at the moment, I think we've seen, and we have to all be careful with what we say in terms of you can't really have an opinion on lockdown these days. You can't have an opinion on. On, on sort of anything really that doesn't go with the status quo. I mean, obviously, um, Paulie Malinaji, who works for us, he lost his job at Showtime um, recently. And, you know, really for... for what did he do? Just not, just, I think it was more, it, it, was, it was more, he wasn't, he was asked a few questions and he didn't answer in a certain way or didn't say yes to something they wanted him to say yes to in terms of how he saw the political spectrum in the States. And suddenly, because he wasn't apologising, he was losing his job. And I think it's because there are genuine problems in society. But I think at the same time, now in being in the media, it's so hard and it's so delicate to always get things right and not have someone come at you for something or you know yeah, and how, how do you deal with that because it's it, from when you got done that was way before almost what we're seeing now now it's it's way worse than it was then yeah. in terms of what you said yeah. i yeah. think i think i think it i work in two ways and sometimes they don't they don't always uh they don't always complement each other to be completely honest with you on my platform uh on my instagram it's like um, 700,000 people on my Facebook it's like nearly 3 million and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all that stuff right on there I'll say what I want I'll, I'll do what I want if I find it funny I'll say it but saying that I am a different person to to, to, to who I was when I was doing Dapper Laughs when I first started I mean I was I was in my late I was in my late 20s I was living on my own with my mates in Clapham I was out chasing birds doing drugs and, and drinking right so now what I think's funny is completely different. I'm engaged. I've got a big house. I've got to pay for. I've got two daughters. Do you know what I mean? So all of the shagging birds and everything like that. Although I might, some of it's funny, some of it cringes me out. Do you know what I mean? So although I can say what I want, my comedy has changed. But still, I'm really close to the mark on a lot of things. I don't really give a shit because all my revenue streams are are self-contained. But saying that, I still make films. And they still got to go out commercially. You know, I'm in the process of making another movie. We made one last year. And they still have to go on Netflix. And they still have to go on the channel. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that the milkier I am, the people that make the decisions on my big projects can still fuck me. And also, all of that goes out the window if I'm working for a brand. So if I was to come on your show, for instance, and I was to work for you, then I wouldn't want to tarnish your brand. And then I'm getting paid. So I'm getting paid by someone else. So anyone else's brand I go on, I can, I, 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 they'll tell me, you know, when you're doing a stand-up or you're doing anything, 
can find and I'll either take the job and do what they want or I won't. So, so it's, it's, it's a, a tricky one. line. It's because it's like, be yourself, but don't be too yourself and be a little yeah. bit more like him. You yeah. know, and it, it, it's, yeah. it's a strange place to be in because you cross that line and they will crucify you for it. Um, yeah. And then everyone, it becomes a little bit of a Me Too movement and everyone starts pointing the finger and be like, and it all, you just feel like the world's on your shoulders. So in, in terms of that, do you feel like the media and, and, and all the media outlets, do you feel like they have a responsibility to, to not kind of jump on a massive witch hunt and to be a little bit more human? Because we've seen it loads of times, even this year, you know, they, they go after somebody and it, that it has real, real mental health issues it, like, or, or complications that it causes. Uh, I, I think the media are disgusting, personally. I think it's horrendous uh, that they're allowed to um, target people systematically until they commit suicide or, or target them until they lose their job. I mean, I, I mean, Jesus Christ, I, I almost killed myself. And a massive part of that, and probably 90% of that, was because was caused by the media, by the media pushing everyone to to not work with me and me lose everything and, and paint a picture of me that wasn't true, you know. And you got people, you got young kids coming out of Love Island. They don't realise that now they're famous and they do something stupid and the next thing they're plastered across the newspaper. Everyone knows. And as we've seen, people, people have committed suicide and people make mistakes. Famous people make mistakes, but not just that. Just they they the, the problem that the media have got. That they're allowed to do is use clickbait headlines that have no relevance to to the to the media to the story. So you know, headlines used to come up with me because I done a rape joke um, that a lot of people was completely taken out of context, one hundred and ten percent. But that doesn't matter because all they need to do is put a headline that says "pro rape comedians coming to Wales," and you're like, "What the fuck? The guy's pro rape?" And then that's it. So, like ninety percent yeah. of people. Yeah, don't but even that, you know, That's but if the they do, if they do click on it and, and get to right at the bottom of the article, then they'll see the joke. And maybe if they do some research and go onto YouTube and watch the full stand-up show, then they'll get the context of it. But no one's doing that. Do you know what I mean? But the, it's because the business are, are the media are businesses, and so if they're all driving and trying to get numbers, and it's even happening now with the BBC and people like that when they're competing to try and get numbers and that's the foundation of their business, then the only thing they can do is create the most shocking headline as possible to, you know, to get as many hit. And but yeah, it's a, it is a massive problem. I think that and it just is a massive problem across, across society in, in, in general. I mean, we're seeing it now with the, with the, with how much they go on about certain topics. It's all cause it's doing the clicks and negative headlines get the clicks. And that's just, that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I, I personally, I take the mick out of the sun some days on my Facebook because every, every, single, every single day on the Facebook, they'll do a Katie Price story, then, then a Gemma Collins story, and then the Daily News, every single day. And it's like, Gemma Collins has been losing so much weight on there. I don't know, I, I don't know how she's still alive. Every day she's losing weight on there. Do you know what I mean? It's mental. And Katie Price is stuff about her, like, you know, she's tidied up her house. I'm like, the fuck, mate? But, you know, we find it funny and you have a look at it, but you know what that does, what every single one of them articles does, it generates hate in the comments. They don't sell them stories. Gemma Collins and Katie Price ain't get paid for them stories. They're just writing about it because if the more people that write hate on it, the more people that write hate and abuse her, the more people that see it on Facebook, the more people that click on it, the more money they get for ad revenue. It's disgusting. Yeah, no, it's um, we, we, I mean, we've talked about 
how these things can affect your mental health, but how was boxing or training? How did that heal your mental health? How did that help you? I um I didn't I didn't actually think that I I could feel better to be honest with myself. I just went for my 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 main thing, and it still is sometimes. Uh, my main thing is like you know drink when I drink is to celebrate or to party or when I'm feeling down I I drink sometimes. And I used to think to myself that you know I'd work hard, and if I've worked hard I'd have a drink, or if I'm down I'd have a drink, and. Uh, it got to the point where I was thinking, fucking hell, like, every time I have a drink, I feel even worse, do you know what I mean? The hangover and all of that stuff. And um, I was never into fitness, to be honest with you, but my dad was a fully trained karate instructor and he had a dojo and everything and I never got into it, you know? He used to teach quite famous people how to, how to do karate and used to do all the big displays and that, but never got into it. And then I just needed something. I just... I always find that I'd get myself quite depressed if I don't have a project, if I don't have something to work towards. And I feel like as a, as a human race, as, as people, we're normally like hunters and gatherers, we're out doing something. If we're stagnant and we're not doing anything, we don't have a goal, I really feel that, that that's a problem. And, and when I couldn't perform, when I wasn't allowed to do shows, but no one would book me, um, someone said to me, why don't you try a white collar and uh, you can raise some money for charity, why don't you try it? And um, as soon as I started running, as soon as I started fighting, I instantly felt better. I instantly felt good. And then I was addicted to it. And do you know what? I actually done my, when I done my white collar boxing training, I, I, I mean, and I can't fight really, to be honest with you. I mean, I'll have it. I've got a, I've got a bottle. Do you know what I mean? I've, I've had many of fights. Just never really won any of them. Do you know what I mean? But I love it. I love getting fucking right involved. So for me to see a little bit of progress with, being able to straighten up the jab, get the footwork right, and then actually, and and then I really found the most exciting thing that I found about boxing was once you get over two things like the fear of being in there, and also um, thinking that you just you're just in there to throw punches. Once you get over that, and you're not in there like wailing around too much, and you can start seeing punches, and you start moving a little bit, and the fear sort of goes from it. It's a be- It becomes like a beautiful thing. Yeah. You watch the videos back and you're like, fuck you, little man. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It becomes great. <laughs> Men, always, yeah, you start thinking you're hard. You start yeah. thinking you're hard. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden you come up. I remember the first time I went to the gym and I got my first spot. I was like, I don't know. It was, I was actually very good, you know, considering I just kind of watched the TV. I was always, I love boxing. I love Mayweather. Yeah. I would just pretend to be him. Yeah. And somehow it translated even in my first spot. And um, yeah. I'm, you come home and you are addicted, you know, like you start looking at boxing gloves and you start buying boots and like shorts. And all of a sudden you think, you just think, you know, this is what you want to do. It's called wrapping up your hands. That's it. At home. You just wrap yeah. 10 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And being, being scared. Do you know what I mean? I even started getting a bit mouthy around the house to me missus and she's fucking hard. When I come back on the first couple of lessons, I was like, shut up or what? And then she'd be like, look, you've had like two lessons. I'll be like, yeah, okay, cool. But... I really fucking enjoyed it. And do you know what it was? I can remember it was around the same sort of time. Actually, it was exactly the same sort of time that Tyson Fury was having his meltdown and having his breakdown. It was exactly the same time. Because I'll tell you how I remember because I'd done, um, I was on IFL TV and I'd done uh, on my first training session, on, uh, my first live spa on IFL TV. And I sparred two lads, actually. And one of the lads that I sparred, what's his name? Sam Horsfall. He was on your, one of your cards, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, came up, I came up to support him. I come up to support him um, when he was fighting. And I sparred him. He'd come in with a body shot. He's, he's, he's a lot bigger than you. 
get a lot a bit taller. Longer. I mean, they were both nice to me, considering like for the cameras, they were nice. When we're training, they used to and they used to say, you know, have a laugh at me. Uh, but when the cameras were on there, they were really they were really nice. Do you know what I mean? They they let me have a move about, let me land a few shots and that. But they interviewed me afterwards, and I just put a tweet up about um, about um, uh, the Gypsy King, and I just put a tweet up about it that had gone viral. And as it went viral, Tyson Fury followed me and DM'd me. And uh, what the tweet was was because it was when he was going through his sesh stage and all that. Um, there was the, all the news articles saying out saying that he was doing cocaine and he'd been caught doing cocaine. And I just put a tweet up saying, "Well, that's the last time his trainer tells him to have a heavy session on the back." <laughs> And it fucking went mental, right? Which I thought was funny until bang, Tyson Fury followed me. I was like, fuck, mate. What did he and say? He just said that was fucking brilliant. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So I was like, yeah. Because, because if he'd said delete it, I would have gone delete it. If he'd said put out an apology, like that ain't Emily Makers on Newsnight. Like that kid's just going to chin you. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But And the beautiful thing was about that is years later, I mean, I've done my boxing fight years later. Um, when I was doing, I done an MMA fight. I don't know if you know. Yeah, that. tell tell me about fame because I heard a lot of stories about fame and the people. What what happened? I had a, I had a couple of friends that were that were asked to do it and stuff like that. What, how, how did it happen and what what happened? Well, the reason why I was getting into it is because when I was training for it, actually, Tyson Fury done me a video. He, he done me a video saying you know, amazing. Yeah, and uh, and I was like a fanboy. I put it straight on my Instagram. Do you know what I mean? I was like a nice video from me mate. Do you know what I mean? It's the first time I've heard from him in years. But <laughs> fame MMA come about from my old, old manager. It was an old, old manager and contacted me. And it was all a bit dodgy, to be honest with you. It was like, you know, there's this Polish company that do it over in Poland. And, you know, they're coming to do it over here, you know. And, you know, they'll pay you X amount, but you've got to put it in holding accounts and all this stuff. And I was like, look, if I'm going to do it, I want to raise some money for mental, I'm all about mental health. So I wanted to raise some money for suiciding young men and stuff like that. The show was amazing. You know, that we had to take care of our own training. Uh, we had to go and do our own training. So I matched up with a guy called Will Curry, who's an up and coming prospect, like MMA fighter, fucking brutal man. He, a real hard MMA yeah. guy. It's weird because he's posh. He's like, hey, how you doing? But he'll smash the granny out of you. And the, tra the training <laughs> levels, the training levels are another, it's another level. Like his body, the conditioning is solid. So when you're training for MMA, even like when you're grappling, like right now, I feel like my body is all like nice and soft and that, right? But when you go up against a man, you know, when you're grappling up against a fence, like the, the like even like the collarbones coming into your face and, and things coming into your face, you instantly you instantly feel uncomfortable and like you're in another world, man. It's right. like, it's not, it's not like boxing where you can get in and out. It's like when you're in, it's like raw strength of another man on you and every nick, if they use, they use every sharp yeah. corner of their arms. Like this is a massive weapon in, in MMA, just underneath your chin or the bridge of your nose, that and the bridge of your nose smash, start smashing you up and just holding it down, elbows in your temple, pinning you and you, you soon realize like, what the fuck am I doing? It was horrendous. <laughs> But the show was massive. It was up in Newcastle, like 15,000 people or 10,000 people, something like that. They sold loads of pay-per-views. Um, it was all Z-listers, so I fit right in. I was like top of the bill with a bit of shit people. It was great. So, but I met, I met a lot of the, the, the other uh, celebs that were in it. There was, well, actually, I'm saying that. There were some big YouTubers in it and stuff like that, a couple of Geordie Shawlock, but yeah, it was... So cool. it was good. You, it, in the end, it turned out well. 
It was I mean, the right. show was huge. The live show was huge. But um, just the behind-the-scenes stuff was all, I don't know. There's a, I can't say too much because I don't want to put anyone in it. You know what I mean? You're going to end up in a, in, a, in a Polish body bag if you're not careful. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or a legal dispute or something like that. But um, I think some people had some problems. Personally, myself, I didn't have any problems with them. But I, I knew how to cover myself in certain ways. But great idea, and I'd love to do more of it. You know what I mean? I trained with Nova Force for jiu-jitsu. I've done an intense jiu-jitsu training. Fraser Wood done my striking, so I've done K1 fighting. I've done intense K1 fighting, you know, four, five, five-minute rounds of K1, like, twice a week. So, like, hardcore heavy striking and high kicking, you know. So, I'll smash fuck out of someone now if they start. For real. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's, what's next for you? Oh, sorry, hold on a second. Hello? Yeah, do you know what? It, literally, I just heard my door go as well. What's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it now. Put it on. I'll come down in 10 minutes. I got dinner ready. Ah, I'm going to go outside. Go on. But I'm just working. Sorry, hold on a sec. Say hi to everyone. Hi. Hello. No, you can't say here because we're just talking. Go back with mummy. Stop. You can have yours. I'm safe. about business at the moment the beer's going fantastic i've got a nightclub that opens next week and we're just going to do a couple of um it's up in clapham i've just done a complete refurbishing it so i'm just investing my money in, in projects at the moment that will have some longevity and interesting behave. for a night nightclub in a in this environment it's, it's you'd just, say that you'd say that but there's a lot of them going cheap do you know what i mean so, yeah yeah maybe it's good opportunistic <laughs> yeah so but you know just got we just got to wait, you know what I mean? Everything costs money, so just got to wait and buy the time. We're just doing a we're just doing a couple of brunches just to get a little bit of revenue in. Um yeah, business is good and then I've got a film I've, I'm, I'm producing a feature film in January, so fingers crossed on that with Terry Stone and then just some stand up next year and just trying to trying to be a dad really. Just slowly, slowly. I, I can do shows now again, do you know what I mean? Like, venues will take me, so it's nice just to get some shows out there and yeah. Last question. What yes. advice would you give to your 16-year-old self? Oh, don't worry so much about what people think. That, that would be the main thing. Just don't worry. Don't worry what people think. And, and definitely, definitely look as, 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 as failure, as, as, as failure as lessons. You know, I failed so much that I know, I know so much. Do you know what I mean? And also, you know, look at, look at the hate and the jealousy and the, the crap people give you is motivation, you know? If you're starting to get on people's nerves, it normally means that you're doing something they think they can't. Yeah, you're relevant as well. Mm. Yeah. Very. Well, it's been a great, it's been a great chat to be fair. Yeah, thanks man. I feel like we've covered loads of stuff, we've been chatting about loads of stuff. Listen, I definitely want to come down to some more of the live boxing events. Anyway, you can get me involved. I'd love to be part of it. I'm not as controversial anymore. Uh, probably not in the ring, but just down watching any social media stuff. I'd love to be part of it. I love it. I love it when the ultimate boxes kick off. You never know what's going to happen. There's loads of knockouts. So it's great fun.
Yeah, 100%. Hopefully, crowds will be back. Last one, we, it was it was all behind closed doors. Last last month, it was uh, run ITV now as well. So once crowds are ah. back, it's going to be a it is a, it's it's a crazy night. So it's good to it's good to have you down there as well because I know you're a big boxing fan. I'll always be there. Yeah, mate. It's just good. It's like it's it's proper, isn't it? It's just it's just action. And me and my mates just have little side bets. I don't know if you're allowed to do that on who's going to win on each fight. So it's good fun. <laughs> Last question, the last, last question. AJ or Pulev, give me your prediction. Uh, I'm going to go with AJ on that. I just, I think he's raring to go. I watch it, I watch him online. He's looking amazing shape. I think he's raring to go. I think he's, I think he's, people have been taking the piss out of him so much about dodging fury that I think he's going to want to make a real statement. And uh, he's probably... I reckon secretly he's worried about Fury, so I think he's going to want to make a, a statement. And I just I don't know too much about Pulev, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm a bit of an AJ fan. I'm one of them ones. So. <laughs> You're a casual. Yeah, a bit of a casual when it comes to division, <laughs> but I'm getting, I'm getting more into it. And I'm, 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 I'm I say that, but AJ, 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 and the Gypsy King. I'm I'm going to go for the Gypsy King on that one because uh, he's my boy. Who predicted yeah. that? For sure. for sure. All right, Dan, have a good day. Have a good week. It's been great having you. you on. And that is it from the mouthpiece. Thank you very much. I'll see you all Cheers soon. Cheers, Dan. Take care, mate. Chill out, mate. Bye.